This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Radio Astronomy, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Welcome to this April episode of Radio Astronomy, which is in a sparkly new format. I'm Elizabeth Pearson, the magazine's news editor, and I'm joined in the studio today by our editor, Chris Bramley. Hello. And our production editor, Dave Golder. Hello. Coming up later, we'll talk to Dr Alan Penny, an expert in contacting extraterrestrials, as well as giving our top thing to see in the April night sky. But first, we're going to take a look at what we found out while putting together the April edition of the magazine. I was very lucky to be able to write about something that I've been interested in for a while this month, which was cryovolcanism, which is volcanism on planets and moons that's very, very cold. So it's water and ice instead of rock. Mm -hmm. Um, And... It's one of those things that when you look at it, it's all over the, the solar system. It's actually more of these worlds are, have this kind of cold volcanism than hot volcanism. And there's these massive ice volcanoes all over the place, um, including a huge one on Titan. Um, and just out of interest, if you had to name a gigantic uh, volcano, what name would you give it? Icy. It's <laughs> more <laughs> <laughs> like Vulcan. <laughs> well, it turns out that the... Um, the, the, the people behind the, the t- naming of Titan were a little bit nerdier than you guys because they've gone with Mount Doom. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it turns out nice. they weren't heading over to Mordor, they were in fact going to Titan, and all of the mountains on Titan are named after, there's an Erebor, um, which is oh. the Lonely Mountain, and the Misty Mountains. Okay. So if you want to go and see some Tolkien geography, you mm, need to be heading over to Titan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. New nice. Zealand's old hat now. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Might have yeah. to go slightly further afield now. Yeah. Gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? And the, and the, there's quite a lot of these icy moons, cryovolcanic mm. worlds in in the solar system, aren't they? Yeah, so, there's there's yeah. dozens. Um, the, the the sort of big three are Triton, which is where we discovered it uh, mm. with Voyager back in the 1980s. Um, Europa and Enceladus, where we might actually be able to go and fly through one of the plumes. So that's interesting. Mm. Wow, awesome. Now, Dave, it was your actually your first month with us over here on Sky at Night magazine. So what have you been learning about? I've been learning about everything. <laughs> it's, a, it's all a massive learning experience for me at the moment. Um, I was actually going to... There was one, one thing that caught my eye in the, in the issue that we've, um, you know, we've just done, my first issue. Events have kind of overtaken us since, though, because um, I was going to talk about the uh, death of John Wall, the, uh, the inventor of the Crayford Focuser. Mm. And I will come back to him in a minute. But, of course, we've had a much, you know, more important death... One person's definitely more important than somebody else's, but you know, that won't be in the next issue you see. Uh, Stephen Hawking has, has died mm. this week. Yes, and he passed all... a couple of days before. 
Yeah. We're recording this, didn't mm. he? And it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of happened at that mid-period. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, all, it kind of all shook us. I don't think anybody was expecting it. So, mm. like... That's right. No, it, was, it, it took us all by surprise. Really. It, it was kind of because he... I think it was because he was told he was going to die. Was it, he was in his mid-twenties and he was told he was going to die in a couple of years' time. Mm. Yeah. And so, like, all these 21. years later, we kind of think, he's going to live forever. Yeah. But the one surprising thing I've, I found... Um, because obviously, you know, like he popularised science massively for mm. people like me. Um, but you know, it's that that fact that he, he never won a Nobel Prize, mm. and it's like, and I'm now doing my research, I now know why. But it's one of these things that, like, on pointless, and you know, quite like pointless. If you ask the general public, name a scientist who's got a Nobel Prize. Mm. I bet you about eighty percent would say Stephen Hawking. But, there's, uh, yeah, 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 there's there's not a lot handed out for astronomy and and space based mm. stuff. And, and it's sort of theoretical reasons. as well. Apparently, it mm. has to be proven. Before, yes, it's it's one uh, of the reasons right, why if you if you look like quite a lot of Nobel Prize winners, um, especially in things like theoretical physics, is they will get awarded it about forty years after they first come up with the theory. <laughs> mm. So you know the the Higgs boson was the the most recent one, I think, um, and that was the th- they came up with a theory of that in. I think it was about the 60s and it's only just been proven now mm-hmm. is that when, the, when it, the, the kind of time lag it takes for the instrumentation to kind of catch up with yeah the, when you have to, to thinking. when you have to build something the size of a small country um, <laughs> yeah yes yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but just yeah. briefly going back to something that is in the issue which is uh, the John Wall um, I I um, I'm just amazed with this guy. I mean, I, I, I will admit, I'd never didn't know him before I joined the magazine. Mm, yeah. um, but uh, doing some Googling of some of the tele, because he, he didn't just invent the focuser. He, he'd spent his whole life building these absolutely amazing kind of boots and braces telescopes. And mm. it's, it's worth going online and just Googling John Wall telescope, especially mm, the one at mm. uh, his 30 uh, inch refractor at Hamwell Community Observatory. He's just. An amazing thing to look at. It's, it's mm. you really get a feel for this guy's passion just looking at that picture. Anyone who makes their own telescope, because I've, I've looked into how you actually have, what you have to do to do it, and anybody who makes their own from scratch mm. is you yeah, have, so have my admiration. <laughs> Genuine. Yes. It looks like a guy who spent his whole life doing what he loved. Yeah, and it was a, yeah, yeah. He seems to have had a very fulfilling life. Yeah, and, and a, lot <laughs> That's of, nice. a lot of people. Um, you know, use his the focuser invention, mm. the Crayfish focuser nowadays. It's kind yeah. of the main thing. So mm. it's um, it's a great thing that he he was kind of doing back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, this month I was taken by something I I uh, read in in our Sky Guide for April, which is all about all the stuff you can see in the night sky. And our star of the month in the April issue is um, fifty five Cancri, which is a binary star in the constellation of Cancer. Um, it's just about visible with the naked eye, and you can um, you can see it much better with a binoculars or a small telescope. But the the interesting thing about fifty five Cancri is that the um, there's a planetary system mm. around there, um, and there's a, there's, it's five worlds basically orbiting um, fifty five Cancri. That most of them are rocky. Um, one of which they think is a diamond planet. A diamond planet. <laughs> yeah, it's very carbon rich, and they think the kind of pressure Ooh. on the on the planet has created um, diamonds. Now there, there have been future, um, there have been observations since that that kind of announcement came out that kind of shed some, make it slightly more mm. dubious. Mm. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's still an interesting, it's still an interesting thing to to kind of consider. And um, the other interesting thing was that. Um, it was the first planetary system to be named 
um, by the International Astronomical Union. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite so kind of exciting <laughs> a motive as um, Tolkien, um, but um, it, it, so it was named. Uh, the planets were named after astronomers: Copernicus, Janssen, Galileo, Brahe, Harriet, and Lippehe, mm-hmm. um, who are all kind of. Um, um, Famous astronomers yeah. from from yeah. you know history, um, and also in two thousand and three, a message was beamed out. Um, this is the SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, mm-hmm. and more specifically, METI, which is Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, w- I was really interested by this, and I, I wanted to find out a little bit more about METI and and the message that was actually sent to fifty five Cancli and why they decided to send it send it there. So um, I spoke to Dr. Alan Penny from the University of St. Andrews, who's the vice president of uh, METI International. Perhaps we could just start by by telling me, Dr. Penny, why was Cancri 55 chosen as a, as a target for a message to extraterrestrial intelligence? Well, in, in 2003, when the people involved in this project were sending a message, um, there are only a few stars known with planets, and 55 Cancri uh, had a planet which was in sort of in the habitable zone. Um, so it was thought to be, if you're looking for extraterrestrial intelligence, perhaps they're putting on planets like ours uh, in orbiting stars near us. So they had half a dozen targets, and 55 Cancri was one of them. Since that time, we've obviously found a great many more planets. Have there been kind of follow-up messages sent out to other targets since this one, Fifty-Five Cancri? Um, there have been a few, but um, the most recent one was done by the organisation which I'm a member of. We sent in October, we sent a message out to GJ273b, a planet... Um, sort of like the Earth, um, in a sort of in the habitable zone, a bit, a bit hot, but um, uh, but it's only twelve light years away. So that if if there's a group of people on that planet, and if they're looking out for us, and if they were looking out at exactly the few minutes that we were sent the message, and this and they perhaps they'll send a message back. So in twenty four and a half years, we'll get a message back. So the message that was sent to 55 Cancri, what, what kind of information did it contain? Well, th- this was a very preliminary message. Uh, we've only just started. We've only sort of inc- incorporated last year. There are two problems. One is you've got to find a radio telescope which likes this sort of thing, so it's prepared to um, give you some time. And then you've got to find some money to pay them, you know, because most of the telescopes don't like giving away time for free. Uh, they're either funded by government and then researchers can bid for it. But METI is not high on the priority list of government funding, so private funding is needed. So we looked around and there was a group of people uh, one of our contacts has in Spain who were having a festival, a music festival called the Sonar Festival. And they were interested in this as a sort of bit of um, uh, interest in doing it, but also as a way of spreading the news about their festival. So, so they said they would 
pay the small amount of money that we need. And we decided together that what we should do is just send a message with a bit of bit of information um, and then some of their music, which they wrote specially for them. For, for this. Very short snippets, just, just half a dozen, 10 second snippets of pretty avant-garde music. And before then, we sent um, simple dots and dashes, which you could decode as mathematics, like dot, 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 dot. One plus one equals two. And then we got on to things like sine waves. And then they could, when the music came, it would be coded sine waves, of course, uh, so they would be able to decode it. So it was just something to whet their, whet their, whet their appetite and to give us some experience. So the next, we're going to be sending out another message to another star in April, and we hope to do a more, um, a longer one, which will cost a bit more money, you know, but a bit, uh, bit more information of a different type. So um, do, do the messages only give out information about, about us, or do they ask anything about the extraterrestrial intelligence uh, that might be out there? I mean, the first serious message was sent out in 1975, uh, which just had a very small amount of information, a few pictures about us, you know, solar system and a radio telescope. So it's, it's a question, what do you send? You don't know what they're like. Um, perhaps they're like us. Uh, but if you think about it, they're likely to be much more involved. The galaxy has been around for billions of years and our sun is quite a latecomer. Um, so if they're a billion more year, year advanced than us, it's as though uh, we're being talked to by an ant or we're an ant and we're talking to people. So we can try and send messages of different types, but mainly the idea has been that we should send messages about ourselves to try and um, encourage them to send something back. I mean, you could teach them English. If you want to say, please contact us, you've got to work out what that means, uh, how you say that, which means a big a big uh, primer in English, a picture of a cat, and then the word cat, and so on. I see, yes, yeah, so there's a kind of communication issue. The asking questions assumes quite a lot of... of Contacting a different civilization means every assumption you know about communication is wrong. Because you think a picture, well, supposing they're blind and they communicate by touch, they do braille. They don't do pictures. The pictures won't mean anything to them. And pictures are 2D pictures. You know, perhaps they're not used to that. Perhaps they only work with 3D. You know, so, so one of the exciting things about, well, both listening, SETI, trying to understand what they might be sending to us, and METI sending to us, is, is thinking about communication, linguistics. Is part of the one of our projects, uh, as well as actually sending out messages, to, is to study the theory of communication, and especially with communication of things you don't know about. I mean, I, I personally don't think it's too difficult, because I think um, if they're out there, they're going to be much more advanced than us, so they can understand us. It's, it's, and we can talk to ants. If you put a sugar, sugar lump down, the ants will change, will move over to it. And in ants' term, that's being talked to. Now, obviously, we're, we're doing a lot more, 
but they can work out how to talk to ants like us. That was Dr. Alan Penny from the University of St. Andrews. To find out more, go to meti.org. There's lots to see in the night sky this month, which you can find out all about in our Guide to the Night Sky in this month's issue. But if there's one thing you really should see in April, it's Venus. Uh, So Venus is a a planet. It's the second planet from the sun, and it can actually be seen in the night sky at certain times of year. Um, It's sometimes known as the morning or the evening star because... It's only a short distance away. It's only ever a slight separation away from the sun. So it's usually those are the only times that you can see it. In April, the best times to see it is going to be in the evening. And if you look to the west or to the west-northwest, you should see a bright star appearing in the evening sky just after sunset. Um, And... Probably the best day to look for it is on the 17th of April, uh, when it's going to be really near to the the crescent moon. So that's a a great photo opportunity if you want to get out there and and start doing some astrophotography. So that's it from us this month. You can find out more about seeing 55 Cancri with your own eyes in the April issue of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we also reveal which lighting units to install to preserve dark skies and light your home and garden. Remember the late John Wall, creator of the Crayford Focuser, and get philosophical as we hear about the priest astronomers who operate the Vatican Observatory. And not forgetting our regular sections that will help you unlock the wonders of the night sky, find the right equipment to observe it with, and discover the best thing to see after dark this month. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Radio Astronomy podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or simply head to iTunes.